I'm Arlen Hamilton. I'm a venture capitalist. And this is Your First Million. I started my fund, Backstage Capital, from the ground up while I was on food stamps. I have now invested in more than 100 companies led by women, people of color, and LGBT founders. After having raised more than $10 million, people often ask me how I did it. I created this podcast so I could tell you my story and so that together we could go on a journey and speak with some of the most successful people in the world from all backgrounds and walks of life to learn how they got their first million. (laughs) Who knows, maybe during this series you might be there when I reach my first million dollars of personal capital. This episode is brought to you by Digital Ocean. Let's go. I recently met a woman named Amy Griffin, and the first thing I noticed about Amy was how collaborative and inclusive and open she was. She also is very curious. She's a very curious person. She wants to know authentically and organically about who you are as a person. Whoever is in her orbit is fascinating to her. And I think that that makes me, that made me more interested and more um, curious about her. So I met her a few weeks in California, a few weeks ago in California, and I just had to talk to her more. I had to learn more about her story. So I went to New York City and met her at her office. She runs G9 Ventures in New York City, has a wonderful team and a beautiful office. And we sat in her in her office and, and had a, a nice chat. I really like this interview because I think Amy's one of those people who could be underestimated in a different way. When I usually talk about someone being underestimated, it's usually because they are a woman, a person of color, LGBT, um, and other other types of underrepresentation in different industries. And it's because I'm saying they're walking into a room or they're part of a project and people are not expecting the best of them and what they can really offer. In Amy's case, Amy is kind of like that all-American girl, if you want to use the stereotype. She's gorgeous. She's a white woman. She is wealthy. Um, and she's, you know, she has means and she, she is... Um, Someone that may, when she walk into a room, may seem like you've got her all figured out. And to me, that's being underestimated because there's so much more to Amy. And in talking with her, the reason I wanted her for this podcast, for your first million, where she can talk about how she attained her wealth and what she does with it, which is really important from philanthropy to investing and and throughout her venture capital fund now. But I think she, she really is relatable to a lot of women, especially who don't really have a voice. And what I mean by that is if I'm being real with you, you know, Amy is, Amy's rich, which is what we call in the business rich. <laughs> she's She's got a lot of money and she could have, uh, you know, money affords you a lot of options. So she could have really gone a certain route where she wasn't um, challenging herself or she was uh, very comfortable. And instead she chose to get out of her comfort zone and start something new. It's almost like it was a driving force within her that she could not deny or ignore. 
And I think so many people who have reached a certain level of success or maybe even started off with some success, um, started off at second, third base, I think they're written off oftentimes. And I really mean that sincerely. I think sometimes we write off people if they already have made it. There's some sort of the, the narrative is not there. That's why so many people like that rags to riches story and will really um, hone in on that. I know that personally, that one of the, the things that people like to say about me most in press or, you know, when they're introducing me is that I used to be homeless. I used to be on, on food stamps. And I, I did both of those things. And I went on to raise millions of dollars for a venture fund and invest in more than 100 companies, not to drop a mic right now. I did all of that. But I think it's really interesting that we sort of erase certain certain people because we we sort of just assume things about them. So with Amy, I wanted her on to talk about the humanity of it all, her her life, the nuance of the decisions that she's made. I think you'll find them really fascinating. I think there are people who are listening who um, perhaps you're an angel investor or you want to be, perhaps you're a philanthropist. Maybe you were born into some money. Maybe you married into some money. Maybe you attained wealth very early in life, something like that. There's a sort of kind of underlying belief that you don't have as much to offer in the room as someone else who had to struggle more. I don't buy into that. And I, I really am interested in, in talking to more people who have wealth and, and how they wield it. Because I think that's it. I think I talk, I say this a lot that privilege is not the bad word. Entitlement is the bad word. And what you'll find with Amy is that she is far from entitled. Um, she understands her privilege and she wields it in a very specific and, and powerful way. And so it is my pleasure to uh, let you be a fly on the wall to this conversation. Really excited for you to hear this. And um, thanks, Amy, for joining us. Hi, I'm Amy Griffin, and I'm a mother of four. I'm a venture capitalist, early stage fund. Uh, believe in the power of women and I am an athlete and a philanthropist and what else can I tell you about myself? Let's find out. Let's start before the beginning. Let's talk. Let's just say hi. Hi. Hi, hi Amy. Hi, Arlen. Great <laughs> well, to see you again after our two days. Yes, it's been so long since we saw you. <laughs> we just met recently, thankfully. But I've known of you, of course. Yeah, all we, the great things you're doing. I'm very, um, well, thank you. And I'm very, uh-huh. very grateful that we met because uh, from the moment we, we started talking, I knew I knew that we would get along. And now I'm in your beautiful office in New York overlooking, this is, Times Square, don't make, don't make a, I mean, not Times Square. This is, um, looking Upper East, yeah, Upper looking East, upwards. looking upwards. Sometimes it's covered in snow, but today it's beautiful. I mean, this is just gorgeous and it has to be a little inspiring for you to, it to is work inspiring. out of a, every once in a while, look back and say, like literally turn around and say, oh, okay. It is this inspiring. Is yeah. It's inspiring to come into the office every day. After. Yeah. So I definitely want to get into where we are, what your company is, what your fund is, mm-hmm. but I think we first start. We go back a little bit. Great. And a couple Great. of things that I do know already. Uh, one is that, uh, well, is it okay if we talk about, talk you're, about you're on crutches? So you're, yeah, yeah. I met you, you're on crutches yeah. and just killing the game with the crutches. First of all, <laughs> stylish crutches. <laughs> I don't they know, gave it to me at the hospital. I, I, mean, was, I was very happy to doing have Doing it, <laughs> yes. 
And then second of all, I I have heard about you and uh, have heard from you that you were an athlete and still are, I'm assuming. So let's talk about that a little bit. When did you start and wh- like where where were you? First of all, there's one more thing that we have in common. We were both uh, Texas Texans. gals. Yes. Doing so, the hook'em horns, you can't yeah. see it. So let's talk about that. So you were born where? Born in Amarillo, Texas. Okay. And is there um, a fun fact about Amarillo that you'd like to t- share with us? Yes, there is, in <laughs> fact, actually. Did you know that the Paladora Canyon is the second largest canyon in the United States? And it is an amazing place to visit, but people don't visit that often because they go to the Grand Canyon. Or wow. like myself, I've never been to the Grand Canyon, but um, I spent a lot of time in the Paladora Canyon. No, I did not know that at so all. it's beautiful. And it's an amazing place. I had an idyllic childhood and that I have incredible parents and um, um, one of four and grew up uh, just, you know, living the Texas dream, I guess. Mm-hmm. I had a, a great upbringing and, um, and then went off to college. Wow. So you, you were born in Amarillo, grew up in Amarillo. Yes. And uh, when did you start getting into to sports? Like, you know, I think it was early on. I had this memory of my father who was coaching our soccer teams where he used to make the girls on our team run if they weren't paying attention. And I'd say, Dad, you're losing, I'm losing friends. So you need to stop making them run around the goalposts whenever they're not paying attention. And he'd say, no, they've got to focus. Yeah. Um, so it started really early. I mean, it must've been four or five for my, my memories. And is this because your parents saw something in you and, and encouraged it? Or did you just, you took to it? You know what? I think in Texas, I don't know about you, but that's kind of what we did. Like Sports. we, there was, we were, I'm, I'm from that whole area of Friday night lights and mm-hmm. our high school is one of the Friday night lights high schools. And so sports and ath- and academics were kind of everything. Yeah. And if you wanted to get out of Amarillo and do something else and you had to do well academically and then sports was also, it was another ticket. And so it was all, it was all that I ever knew, but it was what I craved every yeah. single day. Yeah. yeah. So I was not so athletic <laughs> as a child or even today. I know it's, it's shocking, um, but I wasn't, and every, because I was tall and I still am, people always ask me if I played on the basketball team, if it, and I was just terribly non-athletic, and, and I think to most people at my school that, that was there. Well, don't worry, because I was so horrible at basketball. I think I scored goals, uh, baskets for the other team, and finally they were like, you, you can't play basketball. Yeah. Like, you're just bad. Yeah. It was really bad. Oh, okay. Oh, it was bad. It was so, I mean, you're so tall, bad. right? I mean, you're... So, of course, they said you're going to play basketball, yeah. and I was horrible. How tall are you? 5'11". 5'11", yeah. So what, Which is not tall by sports standards these days. Right. So what was your sport? So I played volleyball. I played volleyball, volleyball. and tennis, and I sort of pursued both paths and then decided um, after high school that I would go. I was offered a college scholarship to go and play at the University of Virginia, and it was incredible. Best, wow. best experience of my life with those four years. Yeah. And so University of Virginia, yeah. and you were on a scholarship, and yeah. you were— yeah. I think I made, more money. I made more money when I was in college than I did when I first got out. Talk about that. <laughs> well, How so? Well, I mean, everything was paid for. Books, tuition, um, food. I would just—everything was paid for. So yeah. there was—you know, it was, it was a really great thing. And I was really proud. And to be completely honest, my parents had set aside money for me to go to college, and that was something that could have been done. But I was so proud to pay for my own college. And— um, Without really understanding what that meant to be a feminist in that moment, I didn't really know what that meant. Mm. There were things that I was doing in college as an athlete that were, um, I guess you could say, helping helping our gender or me not realizing why we were treated differently than than the men. Wow. Um, and that was sort of a, a big part of my, I, I didn't realize there was that we should be different. Mm. Um, I felt like I was doing the same thing as the men athletes. Can you give an example? I have a great example. Yeah. Um, so one of them was, 
and if anyone ever listens to this who played with me, they'll laugh because I always said, why do we not get our jer- our names in the back of our jerseys? Why exactly. do we, why do the men's teams, most of the men's teams, and maybe some of the women's teams, but really the revenue sports, being football and basketball, they are able to have their name stitched on the back of their jersey. And we weren't allowed to have that because it wasn't in our budget. So I always said, hey guys, by the time it's my fourth year in college, we're going to get our name in the back of our jersey. You just wait. You just wait. And so when it came time, it was my fourth year in college. I was a senior and my coach was somehow able to find it in the budget. I think she probably made room in the budget or went and begged for a little bit more. This is a division one sports we're talking about. We had our name on the back of the jersey. Nice. So I have my jersey framed in my house and everyone says, oh, it's amazing. You're framed jersey. And I When I look at it, I think of it in a different way than I think people look at it as me playing sports. I look at it as um, an accomplishment on on several different levels, on a level that's sort of maybe greater than just having been an athlete. Mm, Wow. See, I would have never known that. Yeah, yeah. It was a big deal to me. That is really cool. And so then we, I'm sure a lot has happened, happened after that, but skip ahead a little bit to where you think you went out, you, you left school. And I, I moved to New York City with no, a FedEx box and a 1-800 mattress and moved <laughs> in with five women in the West Village. And oh, man. I don't even—this is this is creating itself. This is great. So you moved—say that one more time. I, it's very easy. I moved to New York City with a FedEx package and a 1-800 mattress, <laughs> and that was how I started, and I got a job. And you were with how many roommates? Five women. At one point in time, actually, I don't remember if it was four or five, but at one point in time when I came home— a roommate had added a wall with another roommate moving in with us with a dog. Oh, no. And there was no email that had even been sent around. We love her. Loved her. She's fantastic. But we had another roommate, um, <laughs> which was great because I guess it made the the uh, rent a little bit less. But yeah. it was fantastic. Yeah. You hear those stories. I hear those stories all the time, but I don't meet the people who actually It was fun. It. Yeah. It was so, really fun. So you did that to, to make ends meet, but you what did you come out here thinking you would be doing? Well, I knew what I was doing. I'd gotten a job when I came up, and I thought I wanted to be in media, and I wanted to be in, you know, content was king at that point in time. Mm-hmm. And um, I went to work, which was magical in itself. I went to work for Working Woman Magazine, Working Mother Magazine. So I'd see Gloria Steinem was, you know, walking the halls of this organization. I was basically in a corner selling um, reprint ad sales, Uh, but I was just happy to be there. And I was soaking it up and just being able to also live in New York City after, you know, from being in Texas was, was eye-opening and, um, and defining. And I knew, I knew I was going to come straight here. Like I knew that I remember my father, I think he gave me a bouquet of yellow roses when I went away for college. And he said, he said, you've got to get you back to the yellow rose of Texas, but he kind of knew I was gone. Right. Right. (laughs) Probably a sadness there. Yeah. And so you came here You'd gotten yourself a gig. Were you thinking um, that you would pursue uh, sports as well? Was there ever well, any? Well, that's a great question. So after a year of being at Working Woman and Working Mother magazine, I actually moved over and I got a job at Sports Illustrated. Oh, okay. And I got a job at Sports Illustrated through a friend who was an athlete who grew up in my town and he made an introduction. And the next thing I knew, I was working at SI and it was sort of the time to be there where so much was happening. And I got in um, fairly quickly into the marketing department and was lucky to do so. Had some incredible mentors, some of them who were also athletes, had been athletes at the University of Virginia, who took me under their wing and um, I'm still in contact with them today, actually. But um, yeah, and and that was, that was incredible. I mean, side story, but the woman who was really my mentor was a woman who was an All-American lacrosse player, had been at University of Virginia. And then fast forward about 
10 years. And my daughter, who at the time, I think she was six, was doing a triathlon up in Westchester. And they didn't allow any parents into the waiting area to sort of help you set up. Mm-hmm. And for, I think my daughter couldn't get her number on or couldn't get herself organized. And uh, the woman who'd been my mentor at Sports Illustrated was now helping out this triathlon because she lived out in Westchester. Wow. And she stepped under the rope and she set my daughter up and she looked over at me and gave me the thumbs up. And I thought, wow, this is definitely full circle. Yes. So... Well, I have a lot of stories like that, but my time at SI was incredible. And then eventually I ended up in the marketing group where I was working in in the Olympic division where I traveled for the Olympic games and I worked on their sports marketing uh, partnerships really was also with guests um, for the majority of the time. And and that to me was also incredible. I got to meet so many people and I was, um, I felt that I had this duty to uphold. I I was really excited to be able to be given that job Mm. and to be able to also see a number of athletes that were my friends from growing up because that was my time frame. Um, I'd spent a short amount of time at the Olympic Training Center for volleyball um, for the junior team. But I was seeing these kids that were my age. They were in sports like a best friend won the Olympic gold in, in um, wrestling. I had a friend who was in tennis. I had a friend who won a gold in swimming from Virginia. So it was just a great time to be. This was in Sydney in the Olympics. The Sydney Olympics. Oh, Sydney I remember Games. those very, yeah, very incredible. vividly. It was really special. Yeah, yeah. I had either just, what year was that? Because I'd either just gone to Australia. 1990, I want to say 98. Yeah. So I was in Australia. 99. 99? Yeah. So I was in Australia. I was either there at the same time or had just gone. 2000. Around that time. Yeah, it was a big deal. They were, there was, it was a huge deal. Well, because the Australians take their sport so seriously. Yeah, so it for was sure. just for incredible sure. what the show that they put on. Yeah. I didn't want to come back. I remember crying on the flight home thinking, I think I'm meant to spend a lot more time in Australia. Yeah, I could see you doing that. Like, you know, another, another life. Well, that's a you whole other thing. Yourself. I'm actually a New Zealand citizen. We spend a lot of time in New Zealand. You're a New so Zealand citizen. It's a whole other pathway. But yeah. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> So this this podcast is about your first million. Mm-hmm. Were you thinking about making a living at this point, or were you were you follow what instinct were you following? Was it no, quality of life experiences? Hundred percent quality of life. Hundred percent quality of life. And and for me, it wasn't about making money for me yeah. and being in New York at yeah. all. It was yeah. about the experiences and and the way that I. Um, I think my life drastically changed when I met someone who, I guess the backstory of that is, and it still involves athletics, mm-hmm. was that I was working 24-7. And I was at the office till late hours. And um, I realized I have to do something to get out of the office because the whole idea of being in New York is to be experiencing life here. So I said to myself, and, and also my mom had, had gone through breast cancer. It's completely fine. But I said, okay, I got to get out. I got to do this wheel turn. I got to sort of move my, my wheel. And so I signed up to run the New York city marathon with a blind runner on his mm. team. And so with that, I got an email from someone who said, I heard you signed up for the New York city marathon. Could I join your team? And it turned out, well, the person's now my husband, um, <laughs> oh, but he story. joined the team with us and we would run and, um, that was incredible. It was the year of 9-11. So 9-11 mm. happened and we didn't know that the marathon was going to actually go on, but we trained and we trained this blind man who had failed to train in the years past because he'd gotten hurt and wasn't able to participate. And then we'd gotten all the way and then 9-11 happened and then they decided to host the race. And um, it sounds sort of corny, but it's true. The blind man would say to me, you, you like him, right? And I'd say, look, I don't know. If I like him, I'll either have one date with him or else if I don't, I'll marry. If I have one date with him, I'll marry him. 
If I don't, we'll be best friends because I respect this person so much. And um, very quickly after the race, the marathon was an amazing day. We had an amazing day, beautiful day. Race was fantastic. He's now running like marathons at three three hours and thirty minutes, and there's no way I could keep up with him now. I see him in the park these days. The runner the that runner, you signed the runner up that, with, the runner that we run with, he's yeah. now still running and um, is still a friend of ours and was at our wedding. But that was it. So I, I met my husband doing that, and we met, and then really haven't spent a day apart. And, yeah. um, and so my life changed dramatically then because I was also faced with I was about to go to the Beijing Olympics and was going to leave for six months. And was fortunate enough, my husband's been in finance for a long time. Um, I consider him one of the smartest people I've ever met mm-hmm. because he's also just a really, really good human. Yeah. Smart, but a good human on top of that. And maybe- There's and so few of us, Amy. There's so yeah. few of us. There, that's right. You, you made me love him. He's fantastic. Um, and so I quit my job. Wow. And I remember that first morning of saying, I quit my job. What am I supposed to do with myself? What's mm-hmm. my relevance? And he said to me, hey, you know what? I don't care if you stay in bed and eat bonbons for all of eternity or you go and you become a CEO because it doesn't change the way I feel about you. And I think he still said, said, mm-hmm. would say that about me today. But um, but you didn't. You know, no, but you I didn't. did. But I did because I, I didn't work for many years and I just threw myself into, I, we have four kids. Four, four kids. amazing kids. That's that's work, right? I, mean, I think of it as work. Yes. And I think of it, I was working on um, philanthropic things in the background. And, um, that's and the also, 10 years you were talking about. The 10 years I was talking about, and yeah. also learning from him. Yeah. I mean, he's an he's an incredible teacher. He's been a professor along with being an investor. And for many years, I would sit in his classes and learn from him. And um, he's a great teacher. He's probably yeah. a teacher on top of everything else. And so when it came time, you know, fast forward about six years ago, and our, we still had, I guess my youngest was maybe not even born, but uh, I had the opportunity to invest in something. And I just got excited about the company and the idea and so I got involved. And what was fascinating, and I think the real story in this, is that it was just like being on a team. Mm. It was exactly the way that I felt when I was playing sports in college and high school. And now I sit and I watch my daughters, and I was just saying this to the athletic director of my daughter's schools, but you know, I watch, a, like when my girls play volleyball, I watch and I watch the sort of communication that has to go on behind behind the scenes where someone passes a ball to someone and someone else passes a ball. And if they don't do well, then they don't win the point. Then they all come together. Mm. But if they do well and they win the point, they still all come together. Yeah. And I don't know, I've found it to be the same way for me in in business and getting involved in these companies that i meet with someone, I meet a founder and I just completely fall for this person. I think of it as like dating in sports. Mm-hmm. My two analogies for mm-hmm. my, my, my new work life have been dating in sports. Mm-hmm. And so every time I get involved in a deal, it's just like joining a team again. So I'm really excited about our sponsors for this episode, Digital Ocean. I spoke at their employee lunch a few months ago in New York City at their headquarters, and I was just blown away by their team, by their diversity in the room, by the community that they've built, the curiosity uh, of thought there. It was really, really fun, and they are some really cool people. So when we partnered to sponsor and launch this podcast, I was stoked. Let me tell you a little bit about what they are and who they are and what they're offering us. So DigitalOcean is a cloud platform that makes it easy for startups to launch high-performance modern apps and websites with simple, predictable pricing, 
no gotcha pricing, and a UX that developers around the world love, you can stop worrying about your cloud hosting and storage bills and have more time to just focus on your business. We all need more time. So that's not all. They want to make it even easier for new businesses to launch apps in the cloud. If you're a startup, don't miss out on applying for their incredible Hatch Incubator Program. Over 2,000 startups in DigitalOcean's Hatch have received amazing perks like a year's worth of free cloud infrastructure credits, special events, prioritized support, technical training, and more. Learn more about DigitalOcean's global startup community and apply for Hatch at do.co slash backstage. That's do.co slash backstage. So let's let's back up slightly to, to really put a fine point on that. You were you it's you said 10 years or so you took to raise years. help raise co-raise your four Have children. Raise nurse. Yes. I would you know create children create humans in your body, yes. <laughs> Four I times that. over. I miss that. When, it's my daughter's birth, 10th birthday today. So oh, wow. She said, I don't turn 10. She's she's on it. She yeah. said, Mom, I don't turn 10 till 3 p.m. Yes. She said, so don't congratulate yeah. me. I said, okay, okay, right. <laughs> oh, well, we should give her a call. <laughs> That's so great. Do you want to say hi to her? <laughs> she's in school. I'll get oh, okay. her after. Okay. And don't worry, we have a Benihana date tonight. Oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yes, very, very nice. So 10 years devoted to that and... What were you doing during those 10 years? Were you observing other people, what they were, in addition to your husband, like, were you watching what people were doing? Were you thinking at certain point, I want to go back into the workforce? Or were you thinking this is, this works for me? For the you know what? I think I was sort of in, I call, I refer to those years in the most wonderful way sometimes as the bookshelf years. Mm-hmm. Because if you think about it, I was having a child and then nursing for a year, 10, 10 months or whatever it was before for every child. So I would sit and I would stare at this, I had this one chair and I would stare at these bookshelves and I would just stare at the bookcases and I'd count the books. And I was, and I thought to myself, will I ever get out of the book bookcase years? Uh-huh. And I loved them. They were magical. Um, but uh, I guess you, I think of those years as sort of fragmented as yes, I would get involved. I was on, I was on boards. I was incredibly involved in, in schools and the different things they were doing in schools. And I don't know, I like, I like to think of it as I was trying to take up leader positions to make the schools better and to make mm-hmm. these organizations better, these nonprofits that I was involved in. And it was fantastic. So now we know exactly what you're thinking in those 10 years. Is there a point yeah. that you can distinctly remember yeah. that you thought, I want to, I'm going to change this. I'm going to invest in something or I'm going to do something. Let's talk about that a little bit. Well, without really understanding the structure of how that all worked, um, I was, uh, I have a very close friend. um, Her name is Juliette de Bobigny, who is a well-known venture capitalist. She's just raised another fund with Mary Meeker. That name is, I think everyone knows that name. Yeah, a little billion dollar something or other. A few billion dollars, you know, the whole thing. Um, but Julie, it's a personal friend, and we actually met each other in an ice cream line at nine months pregnant with our children. Nice. Um, so, but she presented me with an opportunity to invest in something, and she always said to me, "Amy, you should be doing this. You should be doing this." And, and I kind of knew I would, and I was always interested, and I would talk about companies, and I would go to dinners or events or conferences. Uh, a lot of times, as a guest with my husband. Um, but I can remember a few years back, few years back, thinking something's brewing mm. in myself. I knew it. Mm. I knew it. Um, I also coached volleyball for two years at the high school. That wasn't that was a great experience. Maybe my favorite of anything I've ever done. Yeah. But um, 
Yeah. So that was, I mean, I started and I did one and then I did another one and then did another one and then did another one. And I don't know about you, but I've, I've started to find, and when I bring this out to people, they all say, yes, yes, yes. Is that when I am introduced to an incredible founder, then that founder usually introduces me to another founder. Right. So right. that's where I find a lot of deal flow and where I thought, where will I find deal flow? Because there's a million venture capitalists out there, people that have been doing this for a long time, huge funds, huge firms, well-known. I'm not. Um, it started coming. Yeah. And also when I look at the things I've invested in, they reflect me. Yeah. I was looking at your website yeah. and you have a really interesting, great portfolio it looks like. Talk a little bit about the common thread in each of the companies or the themes that you see in your portfolio. Well, the theme is, and we talked a little bit about yeah. this, but it's when I meet someone and I've now created this rule for myself, which is again, probably like dating. Mm-hmm. I had this, well, one, I had this long, no, short, yes, which is think about dating. You can date someone for a long time. Mm-hmm. I, I will credit this to my husband because mm-hmm. we talk about this a lot, but long, no, it's kind of not going well. You kind of mm-hmm. hang in there. You think it's going to get better. No one's really going to change. And then it eventually fizzles out, right? right? Or you have short, yes. So you meet someone and you know right away and nothing changes and it never changes. Right. And that's how I felt about the minute that I met my husband. And that was the first time I'd ever felt that way about anybody. Mm-hmm. And that's how I feel about companies. So I sit down with a founder and I usually know within 10 minutes yes. of meeting someone. Yes. And I want to stay, even though it's allotted for an hour, then I could sit there for three hours. Yeah. It's like a date um, or an athletic competition, either one. Sure. And then, um, so my thread is that when I meet someone, I want to help them. And I don't really have this inkling to be in front of the camera or to be in the public eye, but I get this huge high, like I did in sports, from being part of a team to help someone. So, or make a connection to someone or connect a founder to another founder. You know, sometimes I could say to someone, I don't care if they're selling dog food, if they've got, which is a great, by mm-hmm. the way, great category these days. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I hear about something and I think if I want to use, like, I want that. Yeah. I want to use that right now. Yeah. Um, and that's when I get excited so about it. So you get company. a conviction around something and then you pull in other resources and, and help syndicate in different ways. Absolutely. And I mean, I think you know, I've said in the past 15 minutes is what it takes. And then it and then it's yeah. Is that what you and, say 15 minutes? I say that's 15 minutes. And then it's um, you know, it is there's diligence after that that other people do. Because, yeah, but I asked you about that and I love yeah, that. And you yeah. said it's yeah. the first conviction. That's it's that true. first. It's that first piece because you just yeah. know because it is about taste. I think a lot of times, you know, I know a lot of founders will be listening, and I think a lot of times people can take it sort of personally if something is not working with an investor. And the more I invest and the more I learn, it's about like so many variables at that time. It's about well, of course, yeah, right. I mean, that's where I remember my mom always talking to me. This, this whole investing piece for me is like is life skills, mm-hmm. right? So I remember my mom always saying I'd be dating someone or she'd say, you know, it's just the timing's just not right. Yeah. And I used to say, mom, that's so unromantic and that's so boring. And she'd say, no, but it's timing. You'll see timing is everything, yes. absolutely everything. And so I found that in my marriage, but I also found that um, a lot of times, I mean, for instance, as you said, I just had hip surgery. I mean, people are sending me deals that I write right now. I'm so sorry. I just, I can't meet right now. Yeah. I can't focus on this right now. Or if I happen to have a sick child one week and someone's closing a deal and they tell me they might let me in, 
but I can't meet with them because my child is sick or whatever it is, then I miss the deal. That's right. It's circumstance. And your your perspective changes too over time. So there's something, sometimes there are things that you uh, and other investors will get at a different time. And it's about how that relationship went with the no. Like I always think about, Absolutely. you know, the, the best thing you can do as a founder is to take a no gracefully as possible. As long as there's no, um, don't, don't allow abuse, you know, don't allow being mistreated. But as long as it's, you know, a, a legitimate no or a legitimate kind of even a pause, the, there are some people who have invested um, that, you know, and things that I've done or other, helped other people do that three years ago they said no. But it was because of how graceful that founder was. How long have you had, how long has, has this fund been in existence? So I've started making investments, as I said, about six years ago, but the fund itself has been in existence for a year. Right. So this is coming up on one year right now. How did that feel? Yeah. I mean, your office is wonderful. You have a team, right? This t- the team helps you with a team. diligence yep, and things absolutely. like that. I have, for- I have someone that was incredible in there for me, for me on the onset. And I met her again through a group of women and mm. was told, hey, this person is doing this right now, but she's sort of in between working at VC funds and she came on board and having been at firms like Blackstone and you know big big VC firms really got me started and gave me my roots and I'm deeply appreciative um, for that and then now I'm building my own team and that I've just recently hired someone who as to, to focus as you said the diligence mm-hmm. um, as an analyst and you know, I want to use my instinct, but I also want to make sure that I'm making sound investments because I feel that if, I, if I'm doing this I want to do it I want to do right. it right. And what percentage of your 45 companies did you say were led by women? 80. 80%. Maybe more. I need to go back and really look, but definitely. There might even be more with a woman co-founder, but right now I know it's 80 for sure. Was that something that you set out to do or did it just happen? Well, I think I've also had, I've had, again, as I've said, my husband is my role model. Mm -hmm. And so, and him having been in finance, at the same time, I want to distance myself because I want to do my own thing and not be under known as as John's wife, which Mm -hmm. is probably a thing for me. So, so I've had such a good male role model, as I was saying Mm -hmm. with my husband, but so I have nothing against men, but I also felt that it's (laughs) time for women and I see the numbers and I know the numbers. So I also don't want to exclude myself by saying, I'm not going to invest in that because it was founded by a man, but I, I think it is as powerful for me to be on the cap table mm-hmm. in some ways. And so I don't want to be left out from that. And I think that I'm supporting women and feel very strongly about that by investing in companies that I think are good companies so, for, so in would, terms of a track record. Would you would you say then, in another, in another way, would you say that you looked at everything without the gender lens and that it ended up, that you ended up with 80%? Well, no, because then if I'm truly honest, again, if I go back to the idea that it's based on mission and founder, yeah, then that ends up being women. So I get right. drawn into these companies where I hear the story about what someone's yeah. done and the mission, the founder, the story, and then it's a woman. Do you consider this so, an impact fund? Absolutely. Really? Great. Great. I definitely do. Oh, that's interesting. I, do. I mean, because it's such a strong portfolio and still today, impact investing has like a, has a stigma to it that it can't generate returns, but you're in some of the talk, talk about a couple of the top well, companies. I that mean, I could talk about companies like, like for instance, if I talk about Draper James, which mm-hmm. would someone say it was a clothing company started by um, an amazing celebrity, you know, who has this great personality and does yeah. so much for the world. Who's the celebrity? Reese Witherspoon. Reese Witherspoon. Yeah. But what's amazing about it is she's creating a voice for women in fashion 
not between New York and LA. So mm-hmm. it's, I look at that as impact, mm-hmm. is giving women a voice mm-hmm. to pick out, to choose clothing in a way that reflects who they are and not being told in the polls of the country that they have to wear what people wear in New York and LA. Yeah. I mean, that's a simple thesis for something like Draper James. Um, I have a number of wellness companies. I invested in um, something called Argent, which hopes to be the first, the, the female Lululemon of workwear. Mm-hmm. And she's, you know, she had me when she told me that she, when Sally Christensen said to me, Amy, I'm putting pockets in these to hold pencils and wallets so that women don't have to run back to their desks to grab their purses so they're not missing anything. Yeah. Um, I invested in The Wing. I was one yeah. of the first investors in The Wing. And, 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 and believed in the wing from day one when I took that phone call. And that was one of those where I love to talk to the wing founders because um, they say, we remember the call so well, Amy, because you basically committed to us after 10 minutes, which by the way, after honing my thesis now, I've tried to say to myself, Amy, don't commit while you're at the meeting, at least wait 48 hours. You got to sit back and think on it because I truly tend to get excited about most things that I see. And I find some glimmer of something exciting every time I meet with a founder, just yeah. just by the idea that they're putting themselves out there. That they're trying. Yeah. yeah. That's the hard part. That's a really hard Because yeah. you say no so many more times than you'll say yes. Totally. And everyone's yeah. trying. Everyone's putting themselves out there. Yeah. So on the philanthropic to versus investment, one of the questions that was brought up um, in, in, a, in a meeting that we were both part of, what and that, I, that I've talked to so many people about. And the meeting we sat in. Yeah, we sat ago. in. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you're going to yeah, say. Yeah. It's about, why do you think there's so many women especially women who are philanthropists but are not necessarily investors, especially investors in in, uh, new technologies? Well, I think I've thought about it a lot too since we sat in that meeting. I think it's just an education. Mm -hmm. I really do. I think that women, they're women of means who have the opportunity to be philanthropic and they understand what they're doing for the community or the organization and they see the money at work and they see the, whether it's the tax write-off that they're getting or they just understand the system, right? Right. And I I do feel I find it incredibly important and try to host meetings in my office to bring people to the table that I know have the ability to do, to make investments, but also don't have the ability to do the due diligence. So they don't want to feel that they're making a foolish investment. Why would I, I I don't understand, I don't understand this process or this person or how would I do that? And I just think that I slowly, I mean, look at me, I'm, I am living proof of that. So when someone says, oh, they went from the philanthropic world into investing, you know, I could sit on that table and on the other side of the table and just decide that I want to make philanthropic gifts and be part of boards, which is amazing too. And I and yeah. I hope to do that too. Um, and I think that Im- that also informs what I'm doing on the investing side. Um, but because I, I sat on that side for a while, I think it's informing what I'm doing now on the investing side. Mm. And I think that it's incredibly important. In fact, I've I had these meetings, as I was saying, in my office where I bring women in who aren't your traditional VC investors, and they ask these questions on calls, and sometimes I think, this is fantastic, because they're asking questions that traditional VC investors are not going to be asking at all. They're asking more about the style of the things or how they're going to be worn, mm. just practical questions. But that oftentimes, I'll most bring, important questions. Really important questions, yeah. and I'll bring a group of women together from someone who works in PR or someone who has their own health and wellness business or that have nothing to do with investing, and they ask really interesting questions mm. because there's so many women out there doing amazing things. And so I found, you know, I got an email from a friend who invested in something, and she said, oh my gosh, I just found out that the company that we invested in, I'm a little worried. We have, it's a de- it's debt. We don't actually own part of the company. I'm freaking out. <laughs> then she got a note. And she's insanely, yeah. incredibly, one of the smartest women I know in my yeah. life, but doesn't know that whole structure. Yeah. So I said, don't worry, it's a note. You're actually fine. It's going to be great. Right. She's going to do great. 
Um, so again, it's just a process. And by the way, I'm learning every day too, not having come from a finance background. Are. I think we all are. I come from a marketing background, which is why I get excited about these founders. And I do you think it's interesting, like, you know, people talk to me a lot about how did you get into venture capitalism from where you were? Like how in the world? And it really is, it's, there are a lot of intelligent people in this world, definitely. And, and curious. And curious and um, creative and all of that. But it is not necessarily rocket science. No. It's more about putting a, a, several things together at once. You know, and I think it's a certain personality type for sure. And also, not everyone is going to do what you did. No, not everyone is going to say, okay, I do want to devote my time to the diligence and learning this process and doing all that. So what would you say to women mm-hmm. who may be listening, who are who do have the means? They do have means. They're not necessarily looking to get a gig in, as a venture capitalist, but they want to be part of this innovation. And I mean, to me, that sounds like a wonderful LP type, right? Mm-hmm. How do they, though, not just have passive money? Do they get to be part of any, like, is that a structure? Well, I might also suggest also just investing in a fund that's a growth fund or an early stage fund mm-hmm. so they can learn what it means to invest and, and talk to that for the person who's running that fund, who's had that experience. I mean, I've even done that um, for deal flow and to learn from people Mm -hmm. that I thought were incredibly smart. I'll put a little bit of money in because I believe in someone and say, okay, now teach me how you do it. Yeah. Like what are your, how do you do your diligence? How do you, it's, it's in some ways it's, I want to say it's like the same way you ask someone, how do you keep your house? How do you take care of your house? Yeah. Like, how do you keep your house clean? How do you organize your time? How do you, when do you go get groceries? When do you, yeah. just it's a different like this, process. It's like an inside baseball thing totally. that um, women and, and definitely women of color have not always had access to. And it's just not, not just in venture, but in many things. Like if we, it, I found that if you, if you, teach someone something, they can take the ball and just run with it. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's, I think there's like different roles and different places for people. I think a lot of times, um, um, sometimes I'll talk to women um, who, again, have the means, Mm -hmm. but they don't, like you said, they don't want to appear foolish. Like they're, like they're investing in something that's just like a pot of, you know, the magic beans or something like that. Because they don't know where to, how to go from A to B. And there's not really. Where do I get the money back? How am I making the money? Yeah. How's this money? And then when you think about like philanthropic efforts, like the example that was used was, um, there are many women who will put a million dollars into a ph- philanthropy, but won't put a hundred K into a startup company. And I think the reason is very similar to what you said is that the million dollars, they know where it's going. Yep. It is a sure deal. Yep. You're, you're, you're giving, even though they won't see it again, as they, know capital, the impact. they know the impact, yeah. they know where it's going. So there has to be some sort of education around why that 100K could be just as impactful, if not more, and then could become part of an evergreen fund that would help them do that over and over and over again. And find the things that are important to you. Like if you love the environment, then find a fund that invests in the environment. If you find, you know, if you love fashion, invest in something that's involved in fashion because you're using your expertise. I think people have so many different expertises. Jump in where you find, you know, you have an expertise. I don't purport to have an expertise really in any area, but every time I see a company, then I think, okay, well, I'm going to dive into this sector and I'm going to ask people who invest in mm. beverages or whatever it is mm. and find out find out what's interesting about this segment and, and who this founder is and what their background is. And, yeah. you know, I, it's been fun. It's, yeah. it's really fun. And I think, I think the other part of it is you just have to have a curiosity. 
Yeah. So you just have to be willing to have that curiosity to say, okay, what's out there for me to invest in? And yeah, I do think that it, again, is education. Mm -hmm. It goes back to educating people how to do it. And you don't have to, this doesn't have to be a full-time job either. It can be be a a hobby or it can be just an interest. What's that book called? Is it called Impact Investing, Impact Angels? It's about women investing and it's fantastic. I need to get the name of it. It's on my bedside table. It's Impact Wings, Impact Wings. Impact Angels Investors. We'll look it up. We'll look it up. But um, I think it's a great, um, very basic and very thorough explanation Mm -hmm. of how to invest Mm -hmm. in different ways to invest. That's really cool. It's great. That's really cool. Okay. I'll follow up with you on that. And that's surprising. I had never heard of this. Usually I know that I'm really up on these books. That's really cool. It's great. And then- It was um, given to me by another VC, a male VC in California. Hey, it's Arlen. Just breaking in really quick with a note. The name of that book- is Impact with Wings, Stories to Inspire and Mobilize Women, Angel Investors, and Entrepreneurs. It's by Suzanne Andrews and a lot of other people. So check it out. Um, That's the name of it. Do you consider yourself self-made? No. Okay. What do you think about that? So when you think about that, what do you Um, go to your mind? No. Let me rephrase that. Yeah. I don't consider myself self-made monetarily. Right. I consider myself self-made that from day one, that everything I've earned, I started working really hard for. And I think that if you talk to anybody that I know, they'd say Amy works. If she does something, she does it really, really well. Yeah. Um, I guess the difference is that I got married and the, the the means part of it wasn't something that was, I wasn't out. I wasn't out looking for, you know, a dollar the way that you were, the way that you have mm. worked to make that happen. No, I wasn't yeah. doing that. But I still have, it's funny in thinking about this, I still have that same hunger that you do. Yeah. I really do. And one might say, well, but why? You don't really need to. Um, as I said to you, do I care about making money? Yes, I do. But ultimately for me, it so begins with the founder and the need to be part of a team. Mm-hmm. And that's that female need to be part of something, to be part of a team, to be doing mm-hmm. something, to be contributing. I feel like I'm contributing. I feel like I'm contributing a part of me that is... Um, is really valuable now. You yeah. know, I'd like to think that anyway. I feel that way. And I can tell you, honestly, um, that just observing you over the past few days and understanding how, I mean, you you talk about being an athlete. You are. Like, you, you may not even realize that that's what you kind of put off. You are because in the way that you, like, have handled, you're walking around in crutches. What am I looking at here? Well, I'll tell you because I forgot to mention that. In between, as my youngest got a little older, and then I thought, okay, I know I want to go, I'm going to do something. But before, I really want to do something, something athletic-wise. So this is, this, you're holding this photograph. So holding this photo, what is this? Which actually means the world to me. And I said to myself, I am going to train and do the Hawaii Ironman. Of course. And the so, Ho- did you say the Hawaiian Ironman? Yes. So as an athlete, I've done, I've done marathons, I've done long races and, and I love to swim and bike. And so I literally just said, you know what? Um, this was before I knew I was going to go into, I mean, I've been, been investing, but I hadn't formalized this. And I said, it's, I've always wanted to do this. I didn't know when the time was going to be right. I dabbled in it in the last 10 years, back and forth in between kids. So I'm going to devote myself to, for the last, for one full year, and I'm going to train fully and completely hundred percent for the Hawaii Ironman. And not to try to win it, to compete in it and yes. to finish and to finish strong and to enjoy every moment. And um, and I did. And it was, again, one of the best things I've ever done in my entire life. And again, I was able to do it because my husband was able to be supportive and help with the kids and because yeah. I had the means to be able to, so, to train and do all of that. So 
if you would allow me, I'd like to I'd like to kind of put a finer point on this because I think it's so interesting. I mean, even in this interview, I'm learning more about how I see the world and and peop, other people just in this interview. Um, that's my probably telling me that they general, that talk general, to general hospital is on. Or <laughs> <laughs> um, and so just in this interview, understanding people. So I had a woman tell me once on the phone. She was, uh, her, her husband was like a wealthy CEO of a company and she was starting her own company and she yeah. was actually pitching me for an investment. Yeah. And she kept apologizing. Yeah. Yeah. I've done for, that. Yeah. She kept up. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I, I shouldn't even be on the phone cause I shouldn't take it from someone else who needed. And I stopped her finally. And I said, as long as, in my view, this is completely my opinion, but as long as you are sharing your privilege you do not have to apologize for your existence for what has happened in your world. There are many, many, many people who would trade places. And I don't, you know, to me, privilege is not a bad word. Entitlement is a bad word. Yeah, I agree. No, I totally agree. So, um, and it's been a privilege to be able to do what I've done for the yeah. last 17 years, which is to be married to my husband, have that part of our life, and another privilege and honor and blessing to now do what I'm doing now. And yeah. I feel like... I guess one one has to always have your own, to be able to speak your own piece and be able to say that I'm putting myself out there to be able to give back at all times. Absolutely. And I felt like I was doing it then, and I feel like I'm doing it now in a new way um, for others. And in some ways, I mean, while I still plan to do the philanthropic piece, to be able to see someone who is starting a company and then they're hiring other people and then they're hiring other people and then contributing mm-hmm. to the livelihoods of these individuals, you know, I'm seeing it on an everyday basis. Yeah. And that, that's, that's kind of all I could ask for. Yeah. It's, do, so do you feel that everything that you've done to this point led up to this position that you're in? I, I really do. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. And as I got into it, even as I really formalized it, even a year ago, I thought, what am I getting myself mm-hmm. into? Because I'm ending up more meetings and more meetings. And I call them first dates. Yeah. Um, I love them. I love going in every day. I love meeting new people. I love hearing about new and exciting environments. And frankly, I'm getting older, so it keeps me young. And you get to be around people with innovative ideas and um, just opens up the world in a different way. So I think we have like two minutes left. And I think... Uh, we can keep going. We could. I mean... So great. I'm kidding. Oh, this yeah. is really great. I really appreciate you yeah. having me. No, it's... I mean, we we could keep going. Um, I'm just... I, I want to turn the tables on you at some point. Uh, <laughs> what, what do you want to know? I want to know why, when you're at your lowest moment, did you think, I want to go out and raise money for a fund? Because of a lot of what we're talking about right now. It's a lot of the... So the founders that I invest in, several of them I already knew, I knew of, because I had been tracking them, even without any capital. And I, these women are just women, men, um, underrepresented founders. They're just... They were just working on such amazing things. And in every single case, they had already not only started, but were just working on it, right? They were, they may not have had a bunch of money. Some of them had a little bit of money. Some of them, most of them didn't. Mm-hmm. But that none of that was stopping them from the actual executing. And I thought, wow, I mean, not, this doesn't have to exist because I need it to exist. This doesn't have to exist because I need, you know, this has to exist because the world will be devoid of these things and these products and these people and their and their genius 
if there's not someone waving their arms saying, look over here, look what we found, look what's happening over here. And it was just like striking, striking oil. It was just amazing. Um, so it was, it kind of found me and so cool. I had never before, I'd always started something, you know, like I said, I started, a, I started, I created a tour when I wanted to see a, a Norwegian band play. So I just taught myself how to t- book tours. Um, I started a magazine because there wasn't a magazine that did everything, you know, hit on everything that I wanted it to hit on. But I, it, it, those things were more like curiosity, insatiable curiosity. This was more like the calling that people yeah. talk about that yeah, I had never yeah, yeah. felt. It yeah. was like, no, you're supposed to do this. Yeah. This is not. Yeah. And one of the things that I've said in the past is when people are saying, well, how do I know if I should keep going? If it's hard, if how do I know to keep going? And I say that if you can imagine, first of all, if you can't imagine the world without it, you need to keep going. But also yeah. if you know that it has to exist, even if you're not there, then you absolutely have to, have to, do, to it. do it. And that's how I felt about backstage. I, think I just got chills. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, that's how I feel about it's it. It's an honor for me too, to be interviewed by you. I'm truly, Aww, truly humbled. Um, don't know that I deserve to be interviewed by you, but if there's anything I of can do to learn more from you, um, as you said, we just met, but of course I knew who you were and what you've done and um, applaud you. And so many other women who I look up to mm. who have been doing this long before I ever even thought about doing it and who I continue, like my name says, G9, hope to learn from and grow from and soak it in and be part of yeah. another team and then have someone else introduce me to another team and you know on yeah, and on and, and on it goes. what's your goal are you are you trying it's to a great question yeah what are, you, what are you going for i'm at this place right now where the goal isn't as clear mm. um right now i just keep joining these teams in terms of i thought about well, what's gonna what's it gonna look like in five years where are these companies gonna be in five years i hope that i'm in a new place that i'm able to help them in a new way mm. that i've grown with them um, and I hope that I find other resources to continue to then find new companies that then help mm. just to help the whole ethos of what I'm doing. But um, for right now, I'm just I'm getting my feet wet and I'm getting my feet grounded. And I feel I feel like I'm finally comfortable enough to sit here and do a podcast with you. <laughs> yeah, very cool. I'm I'm so happy that you are. I think a lot of people can relate to you in different ways, but there's a lot of people who I feel don't get to necessarily speak up very often because again, they may feel like it's not their place to, or, and I think people can relate to you. That's why I wanted to talk to you. That's so nice. I think maybe that's a sports thing that that Mm. would be my goal in life would be able to relate to anyone. That is my goal in life is to be able, as they say, sometimes you can put me at a dinner party and I'll talk to the wall. (laughs) Um, But I just, I'm, I'm genuinely, I genuinely like everyone, which is kind of a problem too. Uh, Maybe not so great for investing, but that's where I'm honing my skills on the investing side. But you're you're much more disciplined than you were. But don't don't just send her everything, y'all. Be ready, send her something. Yeah, you're much more disciplined than you were when you started. Yeah, for sure, Mm -hmm. for sure, you have to be. Mm -hmm. But that growth is also exciting too, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, So it sort of starts with my Texas roots. Yeah, goes to my athletic honing of like character and drive and just showing up. And then here I am. Yeah. One last question. Yeah. If you could do any kind of side gig or dream job for a day or just side gig for mm. life, what would that be? Something, you know, the, let your imagination go. How crazy is it to say that I would love to somehow be a politician to really affect policy somehow? Really? Politi- that's yeah. not crazy at all. Politics, definitely. 
What kind um, of role do you think? Any role where I'd be able to make change. Mm. Any role where I can see a group of people that doesn't have, that asks for something that's not fair, that mm. I believe in, that I would stick up for them and make change. Wow. I definitely see myself as, as that. Um, I also love art history. Mm-hmm. Um, I love supporting women artists. Mm. Um, I'm kind of go all over the board there, but definitely politics. Definitely you think politics. that's something that you might di- politics dip into later? I guess life is long, right? I'm yeah, older, so it's got to happen fast. But yeah, no, no. <laughs> um, no but I, I do, and I, um, I also think about the fact that when we were growing up, we didn't stop to ask why we weren't learning about women heroes in history mm. or women. In Texas, we learned all about the Alamo, but I never heard about a woman at the Alamo. Mm. But I never questioned that I should ask for ask about why a woman wasn't at the Alamo or who the women were that were helping with the Alamo. Mm. You know, in Texas, that's all we talked about was Texas history. Yes. You too? Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I knew mean, a lot more about Texas history than yeah. Um, So I, I also feel like if I'm doing anything, I'm setting the stage for my daughters mm. and that I can be so proud of what I'm doing and then they can jump in to say, you know, look how much has changed. Mm. I feel like it's changed in the last five years. Changing all the time. What kind of world do you want to see for your daughters when they're older? Well, again, I think sports, sorry to keep using the analogy, is the great equalizer. Because I sometimes say to people, I never realized that I couldn't do the same things that men couldn't do. It was really only until I got into an office setting and there were a a couple of times my first few jobs where I realized, wait, I wasn't brought into that meeting or... um, you know, someone else rose ahead of me a little bit quicker and they were just in the office for six months and they jumped ahead of me and it was a man. But I didn't even think of it. I never thought of that before. I just thought that if I worked hard enough and um, it didn't matter how smart you were, I just thought if you put the work in and you believed in yourself and you brought other long people along for the ride and you asked for help from the right people, then it would help. It would happen. If, if you helped them, they helped you, you put yourself into it. I don't know. I just always thought things would, would happen. Is that fair or too idealistic? Uh, I, I think it's very fair. And if, if that can be what your I want my girls to see that. See, yeah, when they when they when they walk into the workforce or I do you have four daughters? I have two and two. Two and two. Okay. Yeah. When they walk into the workforce or are taking over your your multi uh, company conglomerate, I think. While you're um, president, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a lot of potential here that I see in Thank the future. You. Yeah, Thank you. yeah. Well, anything anything that I that I missed that you'd like to make no, sure. I guess across? I'd just say that you know we're both kind of coming off this high after we spent this two days in yeah. this Bumble Summit yeah. with an extraordinary group of women, and you know it's people like Whitney Wolf Heard who are really changing the dynamic of how women are seen. And I think there's also a way of doing it gracefully and doing it um, um, the right way. And she's just galvanizing us mm-hmm. to want more for for women and for our daughters. And I'm so, so proud to be a part of that. And I'm still I'm still living off that high. That's why, of course, I hobbled to California on my crutches so that I could be there with yes. you all. And, and it was just, it was fantastic to finally meet you after reading so much about your story and what you've done. And um, again, thank you so much yeah. for reaching out to me. Thank you. Tell me your elevator pitch for social studies. Social studies is the rent the runway for tablescape, meaning we bring convenience and confidence to your doorstep by delivering 
pre-planned party boxes to your door so that you can host an event with ease and confidence. And then literally the next morning, we pick everything back up and it comes back to us. And what cities are the, is that available? So we're starting in New York. Okay. And then we'll move to LA. Has it launched? Launches in the summer. Password protected, so we'll be sure to put you on the uh, on the link, and then we'll open it up, pull the bandaid off in the fall. And we're super excited. The looks are incredible. And the other part of that is, again, when I say everything happens with a team, my partner, Jessica Latham, is brilliant and creative. And she was one of the heads of events at Vanity Fair, won an Oscar in short film. So she just has this creative brain, but also is a complete operator and is out there making it happen. So you can go online, hopefully in the fall, to see 15 to 20 looks at launch where you can order up a dinner party for Halloween, Christmas, Passover, what have you. And, um, you know, all the stress is taken out of it. Hey, so I'd love to talk to you and keep the conversation going. Find me on Twitter and Instagram at Arlen was here. That's A-R-L-A-N was here. Stick around too, because I will let you know when my new book is going to be in pre-order. Now that's coming out in uh, 2020. It'll be out as the real book. Oh my goodness. And it'll be, you'll be able to pre-order it most likely this year. So stay tuned. I'll let you know all about that on Twitter, on Instagram, and on this podcast. Thank you again to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode. If you are interested in sponsoring an episode of Your First Million, get in touch with me. Um, right now, it's super easy to do so. You just email me at arlenhamilton at gmail. That's A-R-L-A-N-H-A-M-I-L-T-O-N at gmail.com and uh, put in the subject that you want to that you're thinking about sponsoring and I'll give you some more information Mm, I love General Hospital one day I'll marry it what else what else